Mornings with the Wash Boys. Now, from high atop the Camelback Towers in Scottsdale, from the Star Worldwide Network Studios, George Odin, partner of Arden Advisory Group, and Jonathan Kierman, Executive Vice President of Superstar Car Wash, talk all things car wash and more. Now, your hosts for Car Wash Confessions with the Wash Boys, Jonathan and George. All right, welcome to another episode of Car Wash Confessions with the Wash Boys. I'm Jonathan Kiermut, Superstar Car Wash, alongside, well, not really alongside, but via Zoom, my partner in crime, George Oden with Arden Advisory Group. George, how is balmy Salt, not, I always say Salt Lake, Park City, Utah? Jonathan, as, as it has been for the last three or four times we've been together, I know. It's, uh, it's pretty remarkable. Uh. Although I have to say, um, my time here is coming to an end. In fact, this is the last Zoom from Park City. Oh, it'll be um, it'll be studio bound for me. I I am very excited about that. Can't wait for you to come back. Well, we're going to jump in. We're going to talk this week's confessions. But before we do that, I do I do want to say thank you to our sponsor, Welcome at Services, as well as I want to say thank you to all of our listeners. You know, um, just we've been really doing well with the podcast, and every week our um, viewership and listenership is going up. So thanks for, um, listening and tuning in to car wash confessions and please share our link, uh, get more folks to hear what we're talking about here. So George, what confession do you have over the last two weeks that I have not heard about? <laughs> so both my confession and my advice are golf related golf. All right. I like golf it. Golf related. My confession is I um, I played at the Park City Municipal Golf Course, which is a really cool track that, um, you know, winds up and in the mountains and, you know, very, very scenic and beautiful and, and wonderful. And I'm we play in a Friday group. And one of the gentlemen I played with was 82 years old and played from the same tees as I do, which you know, is in and of itself enough of a confession. Okay. Um, but we tee off. His name's Sandy. We tee off and Sandy hits a hits a nice one, but I'm 40 yards by him. And I'm thinking, yeah, I'll show this old man. <laughs> he kicked my ass. Nice. He beat me by eight strokes. Wow. The man shot his age um by four strokes very impressive it was it was humiliating it was absolutely humiliating there you go so never judge a book by its cover apparently apparently you don't have to hit it far to be good that's right i've learned that that's awesome well you're gonna appreciate this one so you know i um i usually will trim my beard a couple times a week i like to keep it a little bit shorter than you actually i appreciate the lack of the grizzly adams look today thanks (laughs) um but uh i woke up this morning and i said oh i should probably trim the beard before the podcast today but i have this rule against trimming my beard in the morning because i'm i haven't had coffee and that's usually when you end up doing something kind of crazy. So I took a shower and I got, I'm like, no, I I really do need to trim it. So of course my beard was still wet and I trim it up and I'm like, all right, it looks pretty good. I go into the office and our COO comes in and he he goes to himself. He starts going like this and I like look down and then I'm just covered with 
hair from my beard on my shirt. And so all day long, not only have I been going like this, try to get the hair off, it, you know, went down in here and I've been scratching like crazy all day long. Can't wait to get home and change. So, um, I think I, I said to you before we started, I'm like, I, friends of mine will call me George from Seinfeld. Cause I'm like the kind of guy, like stuff like that happens. And if I just thought about things before I did them, it probably wouldn't end up having these types of circumstances, but it does make for good conversation, um, on the podcast. So Jonathan, though, there's a theme. Yes. Certain grooming. things you're supposed to do after a shower, certain things you're not supposed to do. That is true, but you will be very proud of me. I did, you know, Q-tip my ears after the shower this morning, post-shaving. Right, so we're halfway so, there. So, we're you know, I, I do That's learn good. from my mistakes. <laughs> well, we have a fantastic guest with us today. George, I'm going to let you introduce our guest. How does that sound? That's wonderful. Well, I am thrilled to have Paul Valentine, who is not just a spectacular attorney who's very active in the car wash industry, but has the dubious distinction of being my friend, um, at least as far as I know, at least he says. <laughs> um, and uh, I thought it would be really helpful to have Paul on for a few reasons. Um, he is a uh, I believe the the best M&A practitioner in all of Phoenix and um, a, a decent part, not a huge part of his uh, of his book of business comes from Car Wash. And we've had the, the pleasure of working on a number of transactions together. So, um, Paul, welcome. And why don't you give us a, a, a couple minutes of background and um, and tell us how you got to where you are and. You're going to have to explain the accent too. Sure. And thank you for that introduction, George. I, you're very, very kind. Um, so I, you know, get to live, you know, every little boy's dream, which is being the M&A attorney for car washes. And Ooh, I like that. Um, <laughs> have, been, have been doing that now for, for quite a, a while. And, you know, I think like a lot of people in the car wash industry, it, it was a little fortuitous. Right. I, I actually uh, graduated. So I'm, I'm half English, half Venezuelan. My parents cut a deal very early on where they would spend 10 years in Venezuela and then 10 years in England. Very the second cool. 10 years were in England. So we ended up sticking there for a little longer than, than the 10, the 10, 10 that they had agreed. So did my university in the UK and then was working in a trading floor in England and was actually more interested in the people that were putting the deals together than what I was doing, which was just screaming and shouting at people all, all day, every day. And so decided to go to law school and, and decided to go to law school in, in the US um, and came over and, and was in DC and, and then New York. And like all of my best plans, uh, swiftly changed them. Right. I, I met my wife, ended up loving the U.S., which as an Englishman is, is I, I'm sure you guys can understand, difficult to admit sometimes. And uh, <laughs> um, so I ended up loving it and and, um, and then actually moved out to Arizona. Um, and I remember it was this was in sort of 09, 10. My choices in New York was maybe a second bedroom, maybe or a porter, or in Arizona, I could have a, a, a tennis court or a swimming pool, right? And, and my payment was way less. 
And so it seemed like an, an obvious obvious decision. So came out here, loved it, uh, and then began doing more and more in the M&A space at a variety of different firms. First, you know, Jennings Strauss and now Coles and Brady. And along the path, met George um, and started to do some deals with George and then did a little more in, in the car wash space and, and have done a, a, a number of them um, and probably do, gosh, we probably do in either real estate or M&A, uh, we're probably averaging three to eight transactions a month. Um, and so that um, uh, deal flow has given us a really good perspective of where the market is. Um, and how quickly it can change, right? I mean, the, the the interest rate changes that we've seen in the last 12 to 18 months has really impacted uh, the car wash industry. And it's just been very interesting and, and exciting to sort of have a pulse on that uh, over the last 18 months or so. So Paul, um, you know, I, I know it because I live it every day as well, um, but where is the market? Are you seeing any transaction flow? Do you have any, I mean, on the real estate side, I'm sure you're busy. On the sale leaseback side, I'm sure you're busy. Um, on the M&A side, is there, is there anything going on? Is there a so, pulse? On the M&A side, you, know, you hear whispers of people thinking about maybe potentially doing a deal at some point, right? <laughs> um, and look, there are some people that we're talking to that, that are thinking about selling, but but it's difficult, right? Valuations have come down quite a bit, right? At, at some point, at, you know, there were some deals that were trading in the 18 to 20 multiple, right? Not that long ago. And now the, the latest one that we were looking at was around the 14 and, and maybe even a little lower than that is, is what I'm hearing. And that, if, if you're an owner, that is a difficult adjustment to stomach, right? Especially after such a short period of time. So it's understandable that there is a, uh, a wait and see approach by business owners that have built this business and, and are really proud of it and, and what they've done, what they've achieved. And so to be told that a business is worth a third or even more than that, less than, than maybe one of their friends or competitors received two, three years ago, that, that's a difficult pill to swallow. So there's a little bit of that. Um, but there are people that are coming to, to, to terms with what the new market is and understanding that. And, and so I do think that there are going to be some more transactions coming along. Um, probably next year would be my guess, right? And, um, but, but on the whole, the M&A market has been a little quiet. I, I, I've heard that there's been some deals that have transacted, but those have been either very little cash being transferred, right? So it's just folks that have some distress uh, with regards to their debt covenants and, and are looking to get out of that, right? So so not your typical M&A deal. On the real so estate, can, yeah. Can I, before you go to real estate, can I, can I push on that a little bit more? Um, what do you think, you know, when... When someone buys a a property and you know capitalizes it with a significant amount of debt, and that debt doubles in cost over a four month period and has only gone up, it hasn't gone down since then. Do you anticipate a 
I don't want to call it a wave, but do you anticipate companies, um, you know, being in financial distress, potentially going bankrupt? You know, it's difficult, right? Because as a lawyer, we see limited functions of the due diligence process and the financials is one that we see probably a little less, right? And, and, mm -hmm. and ongoing financials. We'll just see a snapshot of the financials as of the um, transaction. But it's, it's, you know, folks aren't sending me their, um, their P&Ls and, and balance sheets on a, on a monthly basis. What we have seen is if you look at them, it's very, very difficult to project, right, to model out the interest rates push that we've seen over the last 18 months, right? And, and, and look, if you, if you were an analyst 24 months ago that said that interest rates are going to be where they are today, uh, and, you know, I think that analyst would probably be laughed out of the building, right? It's, it's just, it was not something that was in the realms of, of what people were thinking back. Feel free to disagree with me on that, but um, you know it happened so fast that it was difficult. And so, are we outside of pro of people's models? Probably. Where I think that there is um, some grace is that there's still a lot of money in the system, right? There are still funds that need to deploy capital. And so what we're seeing is this combination of either MES debt or uh, PREF equity that's coming in, right, and providing a little bit of cushion for folks that would otherwise... That's pretty, ex that's pretty expensive stuff these days, huh? It's not cheap, right? It's not <laughs> cheap. Um, um, and, and look, there's no, there's no perfect solution as to how to capitalize these businesses, right? I mean, sales, sale leasebacks look attractive in one way, but your bed, you, 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 they have their drawbacks and provide less protections and, than actually owning the real estate yourself. And we can talk about that a little bit more, but, but so, yes, yeah, so that's where I think people are, are kind of at least keeping their, you know, debt covenants at bay. Um, with by bringing in this second tranche of, of funding, and, and I've seen that on a couple of occasions. Well, we've um, seen it happen a couple of times. I mean, we've seen it with uh, Spotless Brands. We've seen it with Mammoth. Um, so there are, you know, there are big names out there bringing in, um, you know, bringing in tranches of additional debt, uh, which a gives them, you know, obviously flexibility on their debt covenants, but also flexibility to go out and acquire in a market where we keep waiting for these great opportunities at, um, at reduced prices that just don't seem to be happening. Yeah, and, it, and it's across the board, right? I mean, it's, it's not just in the car wash space. If you look at cap rates on commercial real estate, right, for multifamily, the cap rates are still below the debt that you incur to finance, right? If you, you know, if you, and, and look, that may not be where they're actually traded, but where they're advertised. And so that is, um, um, that's an unsustainable model, right? And, and the bet has been that interest rates are going to come down. Um, I, I actually was talking with a, a developer that I respect, and he was explaining to me why uh, interest rates had to come down. And, and he explained that total debt was three times more than, than uh, GDP. 
and therefore, you know, there had there was going to be this huge political pressure to come down. I then went to another breakfast with another developer and heard exactly the same story, which means that this is um, this thesis is being promoted by probably commercial real estate agents, right? <laughs> um, and if you wish kind of, enough, it'll actually come true. Yes. <laughs> right. And, and and so I looked into it. And, and it turns out that total debt is seven times, seven, you know, 700% of GDP um, and has been there for quite a while. And it's actually come down a little bit from where it used to be. And so that, um, you know, that argument probably doesn't hold as much water as people hope. And, and look, let me tell you, I am a perma bear, right? That is my general kind of nature, right? I, I always see the world as, as half empty. But as long as we are engaged in quantitative tightening, which the Fed has been committed to do and said that there's going to do and continue to do so, right? If they lower interest rates at the same time that they are pursuing quantitative tightening, they are giving conflicting messages to them. They're giving conflict, they're pulling and pushing at the same time, right? And so unless, you know, my view is unless that there is a real catastrophic event uh, as long as quantitative tightening is happening, they're not going to be reducing interest rates. So shift us over to the real estate world, if you would. Um, what what do you see there? Is the I my impression is the sale leaseback market is such a relative bargain um, compared to the debt market that you know cap rates are still in the sevens and you know debts in the tens and elevens. Um, why wouldn't you do a sale leaseback if you are an owner of a car wash who owns the property? So, so let's break up the, the real estate market into two, two camps, if you don't mind, right? The, the one is the one camp is the sale leaseback market, right? You have your existing portfolio of real estate and you're engaging in sale leaseback transactions. And the other camp, which we're starting to see more of is the abandoning the M&A market, right, and picking up 15, 20 sites in one go, but instead switching your hat from being a um, car wash guy into a developer, right, and picking sites, developing sites, and, um, and basically building from either the ground up or from an existing structure and modifying it, right? So that... That market we still see um, have some have some traction, right? And we're still engaging on that piece. So those are the two the two sides on, on the real estate piece. On the on the sale leaseback, right? You're right. I mean, we're we're seeing cap rates at the seven and a half percent. That's sort of roughly where where we're seeing on that front. Why not do it? You know, we are not seeing a. Like, we are not seeing a lot of repurchase rights there, right? So it, it may make sense today. Um, but if you do it rates, once and you can't buy it back is what you're saying. It's a exactly. one-shot deal. Right. Whereas with a traditional mortgage, right, you can always, you know, you can, at some point you can refinance. It might, it might work for you. It might work against you, right? So that's, that's one thing. You are effectively locking in that 7.5%. Uh, for a very long time. Um, we have been able to negotiate things like rofers, right? But because of the type of, of buyer 
they want to hold these assets long term. That's their model, right? And so it is difficult. Um, you know, I don't want to pretend that it's it's norm to get a, a repurchase right of, of that property, right? It's it's a long term uh, deal, right? Um, now, if you're able to do so, that's with sort of an institutional piece. The other thing that we have seen is actually some sale leasebacks. Um, with owners of property, sort of a ground lease, right? Those you have a little more flexibility and that actually can be um, a, a decent way to reduce some costs for um, uh, sort of the developer model of the, in the car wash space. Interesting. So Paul, if you are, um, I mean, you see, you see a lot of volume and you see transactions with organizations that go smoothly and you see transactions with organizations that are difficult um you know what are the challenges and what can a car wash chain owner or even an owner of an individual car wash do um before they're ready to sell that's going to make the process more smooth and potentially more valuable yeah um and so i think the first one is get the right advisors Right, and, and um, it makes a big, big difference uh, as to who you use. And, and I'll give you an example where that comes and by in. By the way, just let's be clear: the hint there is Paul and George. Um, <laughs> let's let's not let's not beat around. I the think bush. that was somewhat obvious, but thank you for okay, pointing that out. Okay, I just want to make us, sure George. it was yeah. obvious enough. Um, and and look, and and I'll, and I'll actually give you a, a practical example of of of, of a of a a deal that occurred, right? When you're buying, you have to do a whole bunch of due diligence, right? And and particularly now with a transaction probably over 30 million or so, right? Most people are getting reps and warranties insurance. And so the way that works is uh, buyer's counsel will go, goes out and does a huge chunk of uh, due diligence on the, uh, the target, right? And then writes a memo to the client and to the insurer that explains all the risks as part of the deal, right? Without that memo, we don't get insurance. And given that these insurance policies are expensive, we want to get as much coverage as we possibly can, right? And so if the answer in that memo is this was not provided by the seller, the insurance says we're not going to insure it, right? So for example, and I'll give it a simple one. Let's just say that the seller doesn't provide the I-9s on their employees. The insurer is going to say, we're not going to cover I-9s, which means that, you know, that then the, as buyer, you go back and say, all right, well, look, we are going to have to have a specific indemnity, right? So you're now on the hook outside of the reps and warranties insurance for that piece. And so in some ways, the buyer and the seller are working together on that point, even though it's adversarial, right? We want to have all that information. We know that there's going to have um, you know, some back and forth. And yes, it's, it's, a, it's an issue to get all that information. But really, it's in everyone's benefit to have as much covered by the insurance as possible. So if you're a seller or you're thinking about selling, put together that due diligence packet early. Right, have it ready because it is a substantial lift. Right, don't wait until the transaction has started. 
right? And, and people are asking you things because the first thing that I do, right, when we get engaged, yes, we go through that LOI process. Shortly after that, we send a long list of all the items that we want to go and review. And, and if a seller starts working it at that point, probably a little late, right? It's gonna slow down the transaction. And more than that, it also conveys a message whether whether it's a good thing or not a good thing, it does convey a message that they don't actually have their ducks in a row, that they're not organized, right? There's nothing more impressive to me, frankly, right? Then when we send out a list and we get 80, 90% three, four days later, right? And where this actually did have a real impact was we were working on a deal, gosh, sometime Q4 of last year, we were representing the buyer. Reasonable size transaction. And we sent out our due diligence list and we had to fight tooth and nail for absolutely every single item on that list, right? It was, we've provided it, it's in the data room. Oh no, it's not, we'll go look for it, right? And, and just to give you kind of one example, <clears throat> we sent out uh, you know, one of our environmental consultants um, to go inspect the property and they purposely put items around the one thing that we really wanted to look at, right? So the environmental consultant came back and said, I couldn't look at it. And so we had to send them out again, right? And all this took time. And during that time period, the market changed, right? And it changed substantially. And so um, we were not able to basically bridge the gap with that seller because multiples had changed and, and really the reason was because they took such a long time mm. between uh, um, receiving the due diligence and us actually getting, I mean, we never even got the full list of what, of what we wanted. But, it, you know, that delay probably cost, you know, had they got us everything at the start, we probably could have got that deal done before the market changed. So, so the old proverb of time kills deals, right, uh, does apply. And so having everything ready, having everything neatly packaged so that as soon as, as the buyer sends their due diligence list, and everyone has a slightly different due diligence list, right, but, but you know, most of us know 80 to 90% of what each other's due diligence list is going to contain. Having that ready to go so that as soon as you receive it, you can spit out as much of it as possible, one, it makes you look like you're organized, and two, really accelerates the process, right? Which ultimately, if you're the seller, is is you wanna to get to closing as fast as possible because there's just so many factors that can happen in that meantime. So I have to say, Paul, I was right. You are and were a spectacular guest. Yes. Um, you, uh, are, uh, you, you clearly know your stuff. Um, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Um, if, if someone wants to get in touch, uh, probably the easiest way is either by telephone or by email. Uh, so my, my telephone is 602-229-5723. That's my office line. Or uh, my email is paul.valentine at corals.com. Awesome. That is outstanding. Paul, we're so glad any, uh, that you joined any us. Any last thoughts for us? No, I, look, it's, you know, 
all interest rates will pass, right? They, they, those two will pass, and, and whatever the new normal will be, um, the market will adjust, right? And so um, right now I think that there is some um, concern in the market because it, you, know, you can make, uh, there's a lot of people saying that interest rates are going to be lower, and there's a lot of people saying that interest rates are going to be higher. But once we have a, a better direction of where that will land, um, I think this market will will regain some of its strength and, and we'll see a lot more activity. And, and, you know, it's the other part is it's been really fun actually seeing it because, you know, I think like me, a lot of people came into the industry not really expecting it to be what it's become. And so seeing, you know, a lot of people have such success through this process uh, and a lot of really good people. Right. I feel I don't the car wash industry seems to have a lot of people that are just um, really enjoyable to work with and just deserve the success that they've had. So it's been it's been really a fun ride over the last gosh decade or so. That's Thank great. You. Well, you know what time it is, George. It's time for our weekly session of fatherly advice sponsored by Welcome Mat Services. And Paul, as, as we had prepped you prior to the call, we always like to share a piece of either advice that you give your kids, advice you got from your dad, or just some, some wisdom. And we'd love for you to kick us off. So anything you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, one of the things my dad actually told me is um, I fail a lot. Right. And, and that's not something that a lot of dads tell them, tell their kids right, is, is um, it's really easy to tell how you succeeded, um, much harder to tell how you failed, but mm. um, I feel that you actually learn a lot more by your failures, and, and knowing that we all fail, or I think we all fail, there may be some people out there that haven't, but, um, um, and, and that you actually learn a lot more about yourself and, and that it's okay to fail, right? You have to do everything you possibly can um, to avoid it. Um, and, and, but sometimes it's, it just wasn't your day. Yeah. So um, that's always been a, a, something that I try and teach my kids and actually the people I work with that, um, you know, we're, we're, it's not always that easy and it's not always going to go your way, but uh, a lot of it is just being able to just keep on trucking. No, that's great. Thank you for sharing. So, George, yours is golf-related again. It is golf, but I have a quiz. Are you ready? Wait, quiz. can I can I on, yes. on on just to just to spin it into George's? Uh, George and I fail a lot on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> we, yes, we uh, do. We uh, we played at a couple of golf tournaments together, and I think we've come dead last more often than than. Um, then, then we're proud to admit. So, um. <laughs> so yes, it is golf oriented, but it starts with a quiz. Okay. Go ahead and guess what animal kills the most humans in a year in the state of Utah. What animal kills the most humans? Cats. It is the moose. The moose. So. Moose, they are not, they don't, it's not a predator thing. It's generally a protection thing, but they're big and they're aggressive. So that same day that Sandy 
you know, wiped up the floor with me. We're standing on the second tee. And on the first green walks a huge moose. And I know that these things want to kill me. The good news is that there were four people on the first tee or on the first green. So, you know, it was going to take a while to get to me. Um, but what happens? Like this chucklehead who's visiting from, I don't know, um, what town should we make fun of? We'll call it Phoenix. Um, <laughs> comes, runs up at the moose with his camera going to get a selfie. Nice. The moose oh. turns to him, looks at him, and starts not running. Like this wasn't he wasn't near death. I don't wanna I don't wanna make it more dramatic than it was, but starts lumbering toward this guy who screams and runs away. Um, which by the way, not what you do with a bear, but that is what you do with the moose. Um, so my advice is if you see a moose, don't go after it with your phone to take a picture. That's, that's pretty that's, simple. That's pretty good advice. Did you hear about what happened at Pebble Brook here in, in Sun City last week? The no. maintenance guy um, got, I, I'm not sure what the current status is. Last I read, he was, he was in a coma. It's very, very sad. Attacked by 20, got 2,400 bee stings, uh, stung Ooh. by a bee, 2,400 bees. And when they actually, when the EMTs went there they to, to help him, they actually thought he was covered in grass but it was really all bees. So he must have, you know, been doing some maintenance out at the golf course and, uh, and, you know, hit a, hit a nest or whatever. And the crazy thing is I had just played out there like the week before. So keep on, keep out for watching for bees on the golf course. Yeah. yeah. All right. I thought it was a trick question, George. That's why I said cats. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> um, well, my advice is food related. And, you know, I think I've shared the KFC Taco Bell example before, but one of the other um, things that I've told my children and people that I travel with is, you know, if you go to like a, a sports bar, you know, never order anything that wouldn't be a typical sports bar food. So like, you know, you go to a sports bar and they have Don't pasta, the yeah, the salads, yeah. like pasta, you know, like chicken, hamburger you know, wings, that kind of stuff that you want to do. So we were we were out traveling in Dallas last week, went out to sports bar for dinner, and sure enough, and I didn't share this advice beforehand, but sure enough, people I'm with, they're ordering, you know, pasta Alfredo and all this other stuff, and I'm sitting there like, oh, my gosh, I just hope you don't get sick tonight. Because you just it just goes back to the whole thing about, you know, stay in your lane, you know, do the things that you do really, really, really well. And at a sports bar, like, Steak and pasta, no. Hamburgers, wings, that that's where you're good. But in life, stay in your lane. The things you're really good at, I think it, it you'll be a lot more successful. So I, I didn't ask them, like, how many orders of pasta do you sell versus hamburgers? But I got to imagine the ratio is is significant to the people who actually should be <laughs> eating burgers and wings. So that's my advice this week. What happened, though? Come on. I don't know. I was, I, he looked like he enjoyed it, but, you know, one of those things where, I don't know, I didn't ask the next day how you feeling or anything of that nature. I do have one other just quick thing for Paul because um, I, I'm i a big Netflix guy. I just started watching the Suits, and I'm, like, obsessed with this show. And, I, you know, I'd heard about it before. but So people are telling me, like, lawyers hate that show. Is that true? 
And I, you know, and and you can't ask a Brit about Meghan Markle, man. That's I wasn't cool. asking about Meghan yeah. Markle. I was just about the the way it represents, <laughs> you know, attorneys or things of that nature. And I said to my wife, I go, I wonder how much of this stuff actually happens. And that was one of those moments where you I'm know, like, as soon as I said that, she goes, "You watch TV all the time. How much of that stuff is really true?" So I got to believe it's not the most accurate portrayal. Yeah, look. Um, you know what happens in suits is that they bluff a lot, yeah. And they get they get what they want through bluffing. And typically, if you bluff, most people call you out on it, right? And there so that's the real difference, right? And it doesn't matter who you are or where you are. And so that's the, you know, the advice I always give people is if we're gonna if we're going to make a demand, be prepared to follow through with it, um, because otherwise you've lost complete credibility going forward, yeah. right? And that's the, that's the, that's the big, big difference, right? If you look at every time that they bluff, right, they come in with a stack of papers and say, these are all the lawsuits that we're going to file on you. And then they flip through it and it's empty. Right. Um, most people say, yeah, don't bring it. Right. We'll, we'll deal with it. And so that's really the big difference. I mean, the, the, the fast cars, the, the glamorous lifestyle, that's, that's all entirely true. I mean, my life is. <laughs> I love it. What a great um, way! To, what a great way to end the show. So yeah, exactly. Um, well, look, I, I have three kids, so when it's a fast car, it's just uh, it's a little smaller. Much, much smaller. <laughs> Paul, thank you again for joining us. Really appreciate it, and um, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Car Wash Confessions. We'll talk to you again soon. Perfect. Thanks, thanks all. Are you ready to accelerate your business by capturing more membership at bats? Introducing Welcome Mat the nation's leading car wash digital marketing platform. Say goodbye to empty lanes and hello to a steady stream of new potential members. Welcome Matt's sophisticated digital targeting helps you drive more at-bats by reaching highly likely car wash members who live by or commute by any of your locations. The Welcome Matt marketing platform provides real-time results of each campaign by connecting to your car wash POS and captures customer data for ongoing digital retargeting for membership conversion. Don't miss out on this opportunity to revolutionize your car wash business. Try our leading car wash digital marketing platform today. Drive success, grow membership. Contact us now for a free demo at welcomemat.com.